0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected, or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So when we think of following someone nowadays, at least what I think of, Here's what I think. I think of tapping a button on Instagram to start following a new account or subscribing to a YouTube channel that I think is interesting and has some cool content or just adding that friend on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about? I I, I think for many of us, maybe the first thing we think about now because of this digital world we live in is, oh yeah, I follow them. Meaning like, yeah, I, I have that account somewhere in my algorithm and if it makes sense, it'll pop up. Um, And the dictionary definition of a follower is actually someone who is a devotee or someone who will physically move themselves geographically to follow behind someone. Makes sense, right? So what we tend to call following people these days is kind of closer to a form of voyeurism in the sense of you get to kind of peek in on someone's life to the extent that they're willing to share it and show it. And that's kind of only done from a distance at our own convenience, right? I can just keep scrolling if I don't want to engage with that. I cannot watch the new content that this person put out if I'm not particularly interested or I don't have time that day. So what we do in our daily lives when we say, oh, I follow that account or I do this and that isn't really followership. Are you with me on that? So to be a disciple of Jesus, which is what I'm kind of assuming most of us are, uh, for those that are saying, this is my church family, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, it means that to be a disciple is to say we're followers of Jesus, we're not subscribers to Jesus. How many of you know what I mean about being a subscriber to Jesus? I think we all have times of just hit that subscribe button for Jesus instead of being a follower. Sometimes it's like, oh, Jesus, I know you've got this invitation for me, or you're challenging this thing in my life, but I don't have time for that content right now. I've got a lot going on. Or like, oh, I'll put that in my watch later playlist. That's good. You know what I'm talking about. So I think we're all probably have done this from time to time, but but to follow someone doesn't mean that we kind of Uh, check things out and get inspired at our own convenience what it means to follow someone is that we are with them we are becoming like them and we're doing what they do to follow someone basically boils down to those three things to be a disciple of jesus means to be with him to become like him and to do what he does There's actually this phrase that we we just heard read uh, in the scriptures is a phrase that Jesus used often, follow me. I had a professor in college, actually, who who said, you know, a lot of Christians refer to themselves as born-again Christians, but Jesus only says that once. He says, follow me, like, eight, nine, ten times. He's like, but we don't really call ourselves follow-me Christians. It's just an interesting observation he made. The, the word to follower isn't really used other than follow me. But the term follow me that Jesus is saying was a term that other Jewish rabbis like Jesus used to invite people to be their disciples. So this was a, a, a key phrase. He wasn't just saying, hey, come along real quick. And they misinterpreted it and they started following him for three years. Like this, this was a very specific. They're like, oh, we weren't supposed to keep coming. You think about that. Like, follow me was a very specific phrase that Jewish rabbis used to invite people to be their disciples. The Greek word is methetes, and it literally means a learner or an apprentice. And the term is actually used far before Jesus. This was a term in the Greek-speaking world used by Greek philosophers. Socrates had methetes. Plato, Aristotle, had methetes. They had learners and and apprentices who were not just getting information about what this person thought. They were committing, devoting themselves to the way Socrates lived, to the way Plato lived. They lived out their lives logically according to their teaching. Does that make sense to you? Uh, so many rabbis in Jesus's day, they also did this. Rabbis uh, means teacher in in Hebrew, a- and, and they were teachers, and they worked the same way, in a sense, as the Greek philosophers. The rabbis had methetes. Jesus did not invent this term and start calling people to be his disciples. This was a normal thing that happened in first century Jewish culture. Is rabbis called people to be their apprentices. And to be their learners. Now, I'm using those words very intentionally, apprentice and learner, because I think it helps us get a better sense of what the word actually is. Because we use discipleship in, in if you grew up in the church or have kind of a sense of that word in in church language, it kind of means something a lot of times. It's actually very different from what happened in in first century uh, Judaism. So to be an apprentice was to be uh, like someone who was going to commit their whole life to become like the person that was instructing them. So to have a nerd moment for a second, for all you Star Wars fans, a Padawan apprentice followed their master. I just lost like half the room. I lost half the room. It's all right. I'm going to keep going. I lost them. Uh, but th- but think about it. If you watch Star Wars long enough, uh I, I'm sorry. I'm just apologizing. Everyone, like half of you hate me and half of you are like, go deeper. Reference the novels, the comic book. You guys are crazy. Uh, anyway, so, so but, but what Jesus was doing was the same as that. They, they, think about it. In Star Wars, they'd go with their master. They were taught by their master. They were rebuked by their master. They had to do everything the way their master did it. They went on very dangerous missions with their master and were expected to do everything the master did. Okay, we, well, let's put this, pull this into reality now for the rest of us. Plumbers and electricians serve what? Apprenticeships, right? You need to become an apprentice electrician before you can become a master electrician. And you serve under a a master electrician to gain information, to gain wisdom, to gain all those little bits of insight you couldn't figure out on your own. It's like the way this is the way the book says to do it, but let me tell you how it actually works in reality. That's what a master is able to do. And so you think about it, you commit, I I did, but when I was in high school and college, I I worked uh, just doing like landscape construction. It was like some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And and so I, I did like, for like a couple seasons, I did like the grind like you have to do if you're an electrician or a plumber. Like I was up really early. I was out the door by like six or 6.30 in the morning. I grabbed my coffee and my donut or my bagel wherever we were meeting. I'd go to the shop or whatever and we'd get in the truck and we're on the job site by like 7.30, by whatever time it is. If we're as farther away, we had to leave even earlier. And you go through the grind and you're tired and you're sore and you're weary. And the next day you have to do it again. You don't get to stop. And guess what? Because you're the apprentice, you have to lug all the heavy stuff, and you got to do all the jobs no one else wants to do. And then there's like a thing of mud that you got to dig out, and i got to go down in there and, and do this all day in the hot sun. That's what you do when you're an apprentice, not because you're being punished, but you're walking in the way that every master of any trade has gone before you. You're not doing anything different than they have done. That is what following Jesus, that's actually what discipleship is. It is a total devotion to the way and the lifestyle of Jesus. But sadly, what's happened in the church, in the West in particular, is we have a special class called our discipleship class. But not every Christian goes through the discipleship class, just those who want to go deeper. Are you following me? We, we have, hey, let's do discipleship. And what they really mean is we're going to do an in-depth Bible study for eight weeks. What we're really going to do, hey, let's do mentoring with you. And you meet with an older, wiser Christian once a week uh, for coffee or something like that and talk about particular things going on in your life. Let's do leadership development. That'll be really helpful. Now, all these things are good but they're not discipleship. They're in-depth Bible study, they're mentoring and they're leadership development. But what becoming a disciple is, hear me the difference, it is a complete reordering of our lives into the way Jesus lived his life. So what we need to get away from in, in our church cultures is we have like, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Christian, and now I'm doing like the discipleship stuff and I'm going deep. Like, biblically talking, the, the, the switch from one to the other is, are you following Jesus or are you not? Are you his disciple or are you not? Are you an apprentice to Jesus or are you not? And, and, and if you notice, a lot of times when I speak to you, I, I, I will frame things around if you are a follower of Jesus, not if you've been saved. One does not really exist in the biblical way, in the way in the way we use it. The other truly does, but we don't use it very much. To be followers of Jesus is to commit to living out his way. In fact, before Christians were called Christians, before the church was called the church, do you know what they were called? They were called followers of the way. I'm going to resist the other Star Wars reference I could make right now and just keep going. <laughs> So so here's my question for you this morning. Are you a follower of Jesus and his way, or are you a subscriber? This is interesting to me, and I'm inspired, but I don't know that I can really do what's asked of a follower. Now, Jesus had all different kinds of people around him all the time, so I just want you to know whatever space you're in, you are welcome here. There were his disciples, right? These are the people who are practicing his way day in and day out. But there were also the crowds. And the crowds had people who were, I'm just trying to figure this out. I'm not really ready to make a commitment yet, but I, I, you know, this is a space where I can figure things out. The crowds also had people in it that were trying to kill him. So whether you're curious or trying to plot my murder, you're welcome here. (laughs) You're welcome here. You can't kill Jesus. That already worked. uh, They already tried to do that. It didn't really work. Um. So, but you hear what I'm saying, are you a follower or a subscriber? Because if you're a subscriber, you come and you get a bit of inspiration, or you read a little bit of scripture, or you watch a little uh, sermon, or you hear a little message or something like that, or you pray once in a while, but virtually nothing changes in your life. You still run into the same problems, the same sin issues, the same emotional issues, the same relationship issues. Everything just keeps happening the same. Why isn't this God thing working? followers, on the other hand, get to receive the benefits of Jesus's way and life lived to the full. This is why he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When he says that phrase, this is another call for discipleship To, to, to say my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's describing what was called the rabbi's yoke. The rabbi's yoke, you know what a yoke is? It's like on a pair of oxen because you use oxen a lot, right? And and, and they'd have this pair of oxen and they'd be yoked together and they'd have the plow behind them and they'd be plowing the field. And so he's like, this this is what we do. And the idea is, is that you are yoked alongside Jesus and moving with Jesus and moving where he moves. But this is what he said, the yoke of other rabbis was incredibly harsh The yoke of other rabbis was incredibly brutal. In fact, the yoke of other rabbis, pay attention, did not allow women to become disciples. But notice that Jesus didn't just have men around him, did he? There were women who were his disciples. Very radical. Now, we can't confuse disciples with the 12 apostles, by the way. That's a different thing. So we'll we'll talk about that another time. But so you see what I'm saying? So what he's saying here is, is if you come into my life, if you take on my way, the rabbi's yoke that I have, it is easy and it is light and I will give you rest. The way that I have for you is not like the other philosophies, not like the other rabbis, not like the other religions, not like the other worldviews. It's not like anything else the world can offer you, any other teaching or philosophy or standard. What I am offering you is the only way that is truly light. It is my way, he says. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, If you're a subscriber even, I want to ask you, are you longing for a different way? Are you longing to go deeper into a way with a light burden? Most of our jobs, most of our families, most of our relationships, uh, most of the culture that we live in is actually a very harsh taskmaster, demanding standards and expectations and putting pressures on us that many of us will never be able to achieve, not without really losing our mind but Jesus invites all of us into a way that is easy and light. And so for those who are longing to follow Jesus, to take on this invitation of being his disciple in in this way, to follow him instead of simply subscribing to him, I I just want to make three observations from this passage, three invitations that Jesus has for you. This morning, and I've just adapted these from Pastor John Mark Comer, who who identified these patterns in the life of Jesus. And the first invitation that I want to mention is this It, it is that there is an invitation for you if you're following Jesus, there is an invitation to simply be with Jesus. If you are following Jesus, there's an invitation to be with Jesus. And I want to invite you to make three statements with me after each of these invitations. And the first one is this. It says, uh, just repeat after me. When I am with Jesus, normal life is re-envisioned. You have an invitation to be with Jesus. And when you're with Jesus, normal life is re envisioned. The scripture passage we just read says this, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I love this. This stood out to me the most out of anything I I read in this text is that Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. This was a place uh, where people were doing their normal, boring, mundane, everyday tasks of life. They were probably washing laundry, getting some fresh water, getting water for maybe a few little vegetables or fruits or herbs they were able to grow uh, in in some kind of garden area. There were fish here, so you could actually provide food for your family. There were several towns located on or near the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee, by the way, is really just like Greenwood Lake. It's not that impressive. I've been there a couple times. It's it's a lake, guys. I know they call it the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake. It's a lake. It's a big lake, but it's a lake. Um, but there's there's the Sea of Galilee. They're on this beautiful lake, and and, and they're fishing there and they're fishing not just to provide for themselves maybe they can get a few extra fish make a few extra shekels because you know they have a really hard life they're very impoverished and so the sea of galilee is where normal life's happening normal business normal household tasks just nothing interesting and exciting's happening here i need to just make that really clear we read the bible from a 2000 year uh and and like several thousand mile like lens and we go oh the sea of galilee i'm like it's a lake We have Greenwood Lake right here. There's lakes all around. It's a lake. Normal stuff, boring stuff is happening on the lake. How many of you do normal, boring, mundane things every day of your life? And you're like, why isn't my life more interesting? Right? This is what is so powerful about this statement. Here is Jesus walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Here is Jesus to be present with people in the normal, boring, everyday spaces of life. This is the place where Jesus meets his disciples. This is the place where Jesus meets you. You might think your life isn't interesting But the fact is that Jesus is inviting you to be with him in the everyday work, the everyday places, the everyday times in your life. You're meeting with him whether you're a mechanic, a parent, a technician, a lawyer, accountant, a teacher, a laborer. Whatever your work is, wherever you are, whatever your home life or neighborhood life or work life or school life. Whatever that place is that you're like, I'm here again doing the same old thing, there is an invitation for Jesus to meet you and be with you in that space, in every space. This is, this is core to being a disciple is you are with Jesus. Now, there are some spiritual disciplines we'll talk about later that help us be really attentive to the fact that Jesus is with us in different times, but he's just present with us in these places. And on the other hand, subscribers, they won't show up unless there's a wow moment with God. Have you ever had a wow moment with God? Most of your life with Jesus is not wow moments. I hate to break it to you. Most of your life with Jesus is simply being in the everyday, boring, mundane places. But you're with Jesus. He's walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He's walking in the classroom you teach in or study in. He's walking on the field that you coach on. He's walking through the home that you parent in. He's walking in the neighborhood that you live in. And he's looking for you and inviting you to be with him. So, do you have a space like that where you're like, nothing's happening here? How are you being present to Jesus with you in that space? There's an invitation. Brother Lawrence was a Carmelite monk in 1600s France. And uh, to be honest, he was very unimpressive in a lot of ways. He never really rose up to any kind of significant role within his monastery. He wasn't well known in his day. In fact, primarily his job was peeling potatoes for meals. But Brother Lawrence learned something about following Jesus. He learned that in following Jesus, everyday life, normal life gets re-envisioned when you are with Jesus. And, and, and what he would do is he would peel potatoes and he would just talk to God. Or he, he says in one letter that he wrote to a friend that like he's like, I'm not sure if this is okay, but I just find myself just being present to his presence. And we're together as I peel potatoes. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And, and so some would start to come to visit him because they heard about this brother in this one monastery near Paris that, that had immense peace about him all the time. And it was almost this inexplicable peace. And, and they would come to him to learn from him and, and, just, and just be in his presence because when they were in his presence, they felt that Jesus was there. And he was peeling potatoes. He wasn't doing anything interesting, to be quite honest. But he learned that no matter where he is, there's an invitation as a disciple to be with Jesus. And what happened over his life is he wrote some, some letters to friends. And after his death, a friend collected these letters and wrote down some of the maxims or sayings that Brother Lawrence would, would remind people about when it came to prayer. And then his friend wrote a short little thing about him at the end. And they published this small little book called Practicing the Presence of God. Go pick it up. People like John Wesley, A.W. Tozer, other people that are very well known in the Christian faith, go back to this as one of the most significant books on prayer ever written. And he didn't even write a book on prayer. He wrote letters to friends when he happened to talk about this kind of stuff. He had some sayings that other people remembered and wrote down. It's kind of like Jesus in a way. He didn't write any of the books of the Bible. And yet everyone's talking about him. What kind of impact could you have in boring, normal, everyday, mundane spaces if you simply recognized you had an invitation to be with Jesus? Second invitation you have as a disciple is an invitation to become like Jesus. And I want you to say this after me When I become like Jesus, my life story is reshaped. Second uh, insight here, this passage of scripture, it says uh, Jesus is inviting Andrew and he's inviting Peter to follow him. He gives him that rabbinic call and he says, I will show you how to fish for people. I'll show you how to fish for people. Jesus now is going to take the normal everyday things of their lives, their personality, their vocation, the things that they have experienced in their life and they are transformed into what they were always meant to be. Hey, you thought you were just going to be fishing in the fishing business the rest of your life. Let me tell you what all of those skills, all those traits that you've acquired in that time, let, let me invite you into what I really want you to use them for. Then Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they they had actually given up the thought of becoming the disciple of a rabbi. The fact that they were uh, out in a vocation means that they had gotten too old for a rabbi to invite them. And and so Jesus' invitation is a little bit surprising to them. But here he is inviting them, and he's saying, hey, I know you have disappointments in your life. I, I, I know things have not gone according to plan. I, I know you've got this whole kind of thing around fishing that you thought was going to be the rest of your life. That's where all your experience is. And, and what I want to invite you into is to take all of that, and I want to reuse it now in a way that works in my kingdom, the way it was always meant to work. There's a a book that I love by uh, Dr. J. Robert Clinton called The Making of a Leader. And and in this book, he talks about phases of a leader's life and and how each phase God is working and doing something to bring about an ultimate purpose, ultimate goal in in, in people's lives. And, And he says the first stage that everyone following God goes through is what he calls sovereign foundations. And the sovereign foundations are the early years of your life, even in through your 20s, and it's all of the years and and everything kind of even pre-Jesus, if you didn't know Jesus up until a certain age, it's all of the stuff that happened before you kind of like knew what was going on. If that makes sense, all of the stuff, the story of your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the disappointments, the trials, the temptations, the sins, the wounding, the pain, everything that's happened in your life. And he says what God wants to do through those sovereign foundations is it's the perfect blend of things to redeem and use to help you and help others as you go forward. And so here, I think that really applies to the this story here, and it applies to our lives. Like, have you ever thought of a time where where you just felt like, you know, I, I'm following you, Jesus, but I, like I don't have experience praying, and I don't know how to pray like they pray, or I don't understand the Bible. They just seem so comfortable understanding what the Bible means, and I'm not really sure. I don't have that kind of experience. Here you are calling me to follow, and I can't do the things all these other people can do. And what Jesus wants to do is not ask for you to take on someone else's life story. What he's asking you to do is to follow him closely so you can learn to redeem your own past. So you can learn how all of the things in your life he wants to then use in your discipleship journey in the future. See, it's been said that uh, we we cannot, uh, our our goal isn't what would Jesus do? You know that old phrase, like what would Jesus do? Our goal is actually what would Jesus do if he were you? I love that. When I heard that, it it just was, oh, because it makes so much sense because I don't know about you, but I'm not a first century uh, celibate Jewish rabbi. Any in the, if you are, I really want to talk to you. I'm fascinated by your life. But for most of us, that's not the story we're living. So how does Jesus redeem your story? How does Jesus use your story to begin pulling you into this stuff? We've had conversations recently with people as we've seen some healings happen in our church. and, And they go like, whoa, I don't know what that's about, but there's something in me that feels invited into it. What's happened in the story of your past that God wants to now redeem to launch you into something new when it comes to maybe a gift of healing that the Holy Spirit wants to bring in your life. How many of you have struggled your whole life with sexual sin and God's wanting to redeem that place in you to be of great service to single people and married people to better understand sex and sexuality? How many of you have places in your life of great trouble, great trial, great temptation That you're like, I'm never going to get over this part of my story, but Jesus is actually saying, follow me, become like me. This stuff gets redeemed, and your greatest test, as they say, will become your greatest testimony. You know, I've heard it said that uh, the enemy tries to tempt us in the place he's most afraid of us. I think there's some truth in that. What are the biggest areas of struggle? that you never seem to get past? Is there an invitation in there from Jesus to become like him in those places and be able to offer something to yourself, to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors, to the world because of the victory you've seen Jesus do in your life? Become like Jesus. When we become like Jesus, our life story is reshaped. Final invitation is this. An invitation from Jesus to do what Jesus did. So we, be, we are to be with Jesus. We're invited to become like Jesus. And finally, we're invited to do what Jesus did. And I want you to say this final statement with me. When I do what Jesus did, my priorities are reordered. This is a stunning statement that Mark writes. He says this at once. This is with John and James. It says at once they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee. They left their father. Now, we might look at this and go, big deal. I moved away from my family. I moved to the other coast. I, you know, I moved out, blah, blah, blah. i I've like been working on my own since I was 18, like all those different things. We might look at that, but that's kind of normative in our society to leave and go. Uh, but, but a lot of times, actually, I believe that our, our family values, our family systems, our family behavioral patterns actually just show up later in life in marriages and conflicts and different things. Wow, I'm doing the same thing my dad did. So dad doesn't really get that far away, or as they say, the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree. So so while we are distance in one sense, there's still a, a, a sense of closeness that sometimes we have to figure out how to work through. Come join Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and you'll learn more about that. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. But but here's the thing for them in first century in Judea and Galilee, first century Galilee, for them to leave the family business like this at this stage of their life was inappropriate. What they were saying is we are going to reorder our life priorities around Jesus at the expense of our family loyalties. Now, what I'm not saying is never speak to your family again. Only talk to people in this church. That's a cult. We're not a cult. What I'm not saying is that, but what I am saying is when we talk about some of those, especially behavioral patterns, those ways of relating to each other, like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the same thing my mom did. That's the same thing my sister, and I, the same fight my sister and I used to have, right? You know what I'm talking about? When you start doing that, there's ways of, of I'll call them loyalties, where, where we are prone to kind of do the same thing our family's done for generation after generation. And what Jesus wants to invite us into is to say, I want you to reshape your priorities around what I would do and become like me. Because a lot of us, you know, will go, well, you know what? I'm a hot-blooded Irish Catholic. This is just what happens when I get upset. And we say that about our, our heritage, perhaps, or whatever. That is, when you're following Jesus, that is no longer an appropriate excuse. That's called living in sin. Because what Jesus is, now there's, there's, we're, there's patience. We're all working on, on things. There's grace, right? But what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. I want you to follow me, which means your familial priority, the things you've always done, are no longer what you order your life around. You now order your life around me and my way. And so we're going to conduct life entirely differently. So it includes things like dealing with our past, our family of origin, coming into the family of Jesus and operating in a completely different way. And then it includes super practical things like spiritual disciplines that help give us rhythms and frameworks and structures for our life to follow Jesus. And we see uh, just a a few small list of spiritual disciplines that we saw happen in Jesus' lives. Sabbath. The end of the passage we read, what's the first thing they do together? They go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. There's a spiritual rhythm that they begin to practice. Prayer, silence and solitude, scripture, community, generosity, hospitality, fasting. Jesus said his followers would do this after he left. Celebration. How many times is Jesus at a wedding or at a feast or at a dinner party at someone's house? All of these practices and some more, these practices, these behaviors, these habits are the things that Jesus did. And we're invited to actually order our life around these things as a way of structuring our life. And so what I like to say is you can tell where kind of on a scale of one to 10 or on a health scale or on a thriving scale, your discipleship to Jesus is when you look at two things, when you look at your calendar and when you look at your bank account, how are you spending your time? What are the rhythms in your daily schedule? Like not what your calendar says, what you actually do. I mean, sometimes I have like prayer reminders on my calendar and I totally blow right through it. Right. What am I actually doing? And then also how am I using my money? Am I being generous? Am I being hospitable? Is there space for celebration? A- am I committing space for Sabbath in my calendar? For for regular prayer, silence, solitude. Is there space for community in my life, or uh, do I have no margin? All of these things. Now, now I want you to. Tell, how many of you are tired? You're weary. It's like this, it's January fifteenth, and you're already tired. Okay, How long do you think you can keep that up for? Some of you have been like, I've been going a long time. And I'm going to keep going. I get it. But, but here, here's my question for you. If, if Jesus is calling you to a light and easy burden, and your followership to Jesus has exhausted you, or your life has exhausted you, do you see that there could be some dissonance between the two i'll let you answer that for yourself but but here's what i have found when i do not have margin i get really anxious i get really angry i get easily i'm so impatient with my kids especially with my wife with friends with all of you quite honestly i like no seriously seriously i have to i have to do well to to have margin in my own life so i have something to give other people but that doesn't just apply to me that applies to all of you what are the practices what are the ways that jesus has called you to live life doing what he did that are going to make the burden the yoke light easy some of you have come into Christianity and you've not experienced light and easy, you've experienced a lot of pressure, you've experienced anxiety, like I hope they don't find that out, how am I supposed to do all these things? That's not the invitation of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus is to do what he did. And it included things like heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. It included things like silence and solitude. It included rest. It included generosity. Included community. Included celebration. And if we do not have a, a a healthy rhythm of the things that Jesus did, framing our life, we get anxious. We get tired. We get exhausted. We get angry. We get resentful. You can tell. Did you? Well, I don't, maybe I want to ask this question. But did you look at my my pictures of Punta Cana and get jealous and content and angry that someone was in the tropics and you weren't? Jersey, thank you for being honest. I appreciate it. No, but I, I actually, someone who I, I, I really respect uh, said, like, you can tell you're really tired and you need a break if you're getting envious that someone else is having a great vacation. And I was like, I'm really, really tired. I'm really tired. Someone's going somewhere I don't even want to go, and I'm angry. Like, I must be tired. But, you, but do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. So, so here's, Andrew, you just threw a lot of things at us. Are you saying we have to do more stuff now? Because that's what we all do, right? We go, okay, I've got to add all these things to my life. Here's what I'm saying. I'm actually saying that the call of Jesus is when we follow him, our priorities get reordered. Following Jesus means there are things we're going to need to say no to. There might be a lot of things you need to say no to because you've just packed your life so full. It's hard. I say no to some things that have cost me. They have cost me moments of success in ministry and as a pastor. They would have looked really good for me to be at or be involved with. But I had to say no because of different commitments. Commitments to things like Sabbath, not being away too many nights during the year. I have to say no to a lot of things. You have to say no to a lot of things to do the right things, the things Jesus has invited you to. Now, you say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sounds like you're telling me I've got to do a bunch of stuff. Aren't we saved by grace? Aren't we not, not by like works and doing stuff? without getting into that whole mess and how it's been a really confused and misread, here, here's the best way I can describe uh, this. And Dallas Willard puts it this way. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. None of this is earning salvation. None of this means you are more worthy of, of God's love. None of this means anything related to your identity in Christ. Here's what it means. Jesus, if you've said yes to following Jesus, he has put his empowering spirit in you. Doing something, doing what Jesus did, practicing spiritual disciplines, is your agreement that that empowering work of grace is in your life and is active. So to do something isn't, oh, I'm doing this to win points or whatever. It's saying, this is true about me. I have God's spirit in me. He's giving me grace to live this life, so therefore I can do these things. It's not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So which invitation stands out to you this morning? Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. I love this. Everyone Jesus called to follow him He sustained them. They continued to follow him. There's a few stories in Mark that we might might get to later as we study Mark. Sometimes people came saying, I want to be your disciple. And then when Jesus gave the call to follow, to the rich man in particular, he said, okay, you can follow me. Go sell everything and then come follow me. And he couldn't do it. All, All of us have a cross And we'll get there as we we wrap up our our first theme of Mark. We have a cross that we are called to carry and pick up. So some of this does feel hard sometimes. But this morning, I I just want you to look at the invitation. Do you feel a longing to be with Jesus? Is there there an invitation that you sense in your, your heart to become like Jesus? To have your story reshaped? Do you sense an invitation to do what Jesus did? What's the invitation this morning? Why don't you just take a minute as the worship team comes up. Just listen. Would you close your eyes for a minute? Just listen to Jesus' invitation. There's probably some combination of all three, but what's the one? It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.